Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of uh, Mystery. <laughs> and I'm your host today, uh, Al Warren, as most days, and uh, Martini Maker is here. <laughs> I am right here. Thanks, Al. <laughs> He's just getting the cocktails ready. We're going to need them. We're, we're talking to a guy from Canada. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's written some horror. Um, uh, the book we're focusing on will be Shelter for the Damned. And the, the guest is the author, Mike Thorne. Thank you for being here, Mike. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Do I get one of those martinis, too? Is there any way we can... Yeah, that happened. Well, we'd love to, but you're on lockdown, so. (laughs) That's right. That's it. You know, it's Easter lockdown. It's all over. How, you know, how is that for a horror writer like you? You know, when you get into this, this last year, year and a bit where, you know, all the crazy stuff going on, I guess most of it's across the border, the craziness, but um, still with the shutdown and the pandemic and people dying and all this sort of stuff, does that sort of seep into your writing it it has in some ways i mean to be honest for a large part of the lockdown i was struggling with writer's block in a big way um so having deadlines for anthology invites was a blessing because then i you know i had to get the the words in um i wrote a recent story that's going to be the first piece in my collection peel back and see which comes out in the fall and that one kind of uses the pandemic as a background or as an environment for the piece. So do you think that's good? Um, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't want to write 
uh, a COVID zombie story or something like that. I think that would be pretty tacky. But in this case, it just became a kind of organic backdrop because um, I try to write as much as I can through contemporary settings and feelings. Um, so in that case, it felt it felt right. Yeah, it's just it's hard to, to isn't it kind of hard to tell how it's going to turn out? That's kind of a problem. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to set out to write a COVID story or something. It, 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 it wasn't at the forefront of the piece. It just was the situation within which the protagonist found himself, because that's where I am. So I, I'm finding I'm writing a lot of stories with people being absorbed into screens or images and things like that, because you know, I'm not getting the regular social contact I would in a pre-pandemic world. That's, that's interesting. So you think it's the social contact that it, that actually influences? Maybe even the lack of it is what kind of gives you a block? I think it's part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm very introverted and very insular, but there's something about that sudden and abrupt severing of most social ties that seems to have affected me. I mean, I do Zoom hangouts with friends and, and socially distanced hangouts every now and then, and I teach online, but just even teaching online, you're essentially, you feel like you're teaching into the void. Most of the students don't have their webcams on and getting people to engage is really difficult. So it's just shifting the whole paradigm of how I engage with the world, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I understand totally. Um, I think most of us do, unless you don't think it's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you're sort of living somewhere else and you sort of have different things going on around, right? It's, so it maybe not affect you. But most of the writers we've talked to, um, which is surprising to me, most of them seem to have had no problem with this and in fact anything they've um said they've they're able to write more i'm like you i i tended to to get a lot of blocking going on that's interesting yeah i mean i've enjoyed the solitude i feel like i'm reading a lot more um but yeah in terms of writing productivity i do think there's been a bit of a dip i'm finding my way back into it and there are workarounds but it's definitely more work. I think there's this, just this kind of lethargy that sets in with the sameness of every day, um, for yeah. me anyway. Yeah, well, for me, I just feel like it's forced. So, uh, you know, some of the books I have contracted for, for publishers, I just, I've just been going through the motions and doing it, but I don't, they don't mean as much to me, which is, uh, so, so that doesn't mean don't buy them, people. It just means <laughs> <laughs> it just it just means I'm less in touch with them. How's that, boy? I'm blowing it for myself here. Um, wow. So, how did it start for you? You 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 uh, getting into this writing world, and 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 I mean this in the in the part of um, where you actually what what was the the one point when you actually felt confident enough to decide, well, I can write and get something published? Good question. I think those are two different questions. The, the question about when, when was I confident enough to write? I think I always had a kind of um, propensity to write. So I, ever, for as long as I can remember, I've always been writing. 
But in terms of submitting for publication, um, early in my undergrad, I was writing some pretty shoddy poetry, and I had the uh, youthful naivete to send some of that stuff out. Um, my first short story sale was not until 2015. I, I sold a story called Long Man to an anthology called Creepy Campfire Stories for Grownups. Um, and throughout my graduate degree, I wrote a ton of short fiction, and it became a kind of outlet for me to process a lot of the dread and anxiety I felt surrounding academic environments and just the contemporary state of things. Um, but interestingly, Shelter for the Damned, I wrote the first draft before any of my short fiction. I wrote most of the rough draft in my early 20s and then just reworked it substantially over time. So I kind of started backwards. I started with a novel and then, you know, dove into the short form. Do you, do you have an outlook? Like, um, how do I say this? So when you're, when you're writing uh, a book, um, is, there, is there something you want to get across to people uh, that isn't related to the story? I never go into a piece with a certain message in mind. Um, usually I think my concerns and my fears and my interests will leak their way into the fiction organically. So in the case of Shelter for the Damned, for instance, as I continued reworking the novel, I noticed that the book was saying something about kind of prescriptive masculine conditioning and addiction among other things. And, and then I tried to allow those ideas to breathe in later drafts. But I usually just start with either images or character or sometimes a scene. And then I, I just allow the thing to grow from that, from that germ. So are you, do you write your scenes or your locations as characters themselves? Sometimes um, in shelter for the damned, the, entity that is known as the shack is is definitely a primary character and it's the kind of object of conflict in the novel um and I'm, I'm very heavily influenced by the gothic tradition so i'm interested in the ways in which setting and place can take a central role as character so it depends on the on the the piece but definitely uh some of my work makes use of that Pretty interesting. I, I just wonder um, when you when you when you're putting together a story and characters, are you are you putting it together from your own experience, something that you've come across in your life, um, or is this completely out of the blue and made up? All of my work is personal to some extent. The degree to which I abstract from my experiences and my memories varies a lot. Um, I have never been lured into the uh, trap of a cosmic entity that takes the form of a shack in a suburban field, resulting in several murders and other <laughs> hellish events. Thankful. You never know. <laughs> you never know. That's, that's not something that has happened yet. Uh, but, you know, there are ways in which um, my novel, Shelter for the Damned, does, does draw on my experiences. I mean, it's set in the suburbs in 2003. That's around the time I would have been Mark's age. Um, and I, I drew a little bit on my experiences and memories and then infected it with cosmic horror. 
do you find that you're a natural short story writer or more of a natural novelist? I think short stories come easier for me, um, but I enjoy both forms. I think it depends on what I want to do. I think part of the reason short stories are easier is because my natural technique is to, um, I guess you could use the term pants it. So I, I don't tend to outline very much. So when I'm writing novels, that can be more of a headache because you're dealing with a lot more pages, a lot more characters. Um, so in terms of the editing process, it's a lot more cumbersome with novels. Whereas with short stories, the fixes are usually less of a nightmare. Um, but I like both forms, depending on the piece. Hmm. You know, um, when, when, you, when you wrote Shelter of the Damned, um, you've got it centered around two teenagers, uh, if, if I understand that right. Um, those characters, where do you get them from? And I ask that in the sense of a lot of people that write that we talk to, um, you know, they, they describe their characters as their children or uh, they're, they're, they have a, a very unusual relationship with their characters. Uh, for someone like me that writes just, you know, uh, true crime or nonfiction, um, what is it for a horror writer like you? There's always a part of me in any character I write. So the protagonist of Shelter for the Damned um, was formed a lot on my memories of feeling like I didn't fit in as an adolescent, like I didn't see any place for me in the social systems that were set out. So I looked at the environments and um, the frameworks in front of me, whether it be school or um, any kind of social system. I was just like, I don't see myself going anywhere. And I drew a lot on the anxiety and the anger that came from that um, feeling. And I just tried to, tr to put myself back in that place as much as possible. The same is true for um, the other primary characters in the novel, Scott and Adam and Madeline, um, all teenagers. But they, they, they all come from some aspect of my teenage experience, my teenage memories. Although none of them is me, they all have a fragment of me in them. Sure, you tell us that now, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know the thing is, there's 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 something that when you say uh, some of you, a little of you, is in the character or characters and and, and the story itself, it, it brings back something from a memory or or comes from a memory or whatever. Um, but when you do that. Um, because of what you're writing, it's still, you know, it's dealing with emotion, it's dealing with fear, it's dealing with um, a lot of feelings. Um, so in a way, I guess you're kind of um, making yourself vulnerable by writing about your own experiences. Like you're putting some of your own feelings that you had through something and sharing them. Does, does that sort of, does that sort of make you feel, um, vulnerable when you actually put it out for the public to read always yeah absolutely i think and my assumption is that most creative people 
feel that when they put their work out there in the world. Um, especially, you know, I, I think some, some creative people say they don't read reviews. I imagine most do. So it, it's especially vulnerable uh, to be put in the position of reading negative reviews and things like that. I mean, they're just, they're there and, and they're there for a reason. Um, but yeah, it's always extremely nerve wracking because actually one of the ways I frame my fiction is that it's not an attempt to offend the reader or assault the reader. I think some horror writers actually would describe their work that way. Mine is a kind of defensive process where I'm trying to ward off the things that frighten me or exercise my demons, clean out my closet, so to speak. So, yeah, it's a super vulnerable position to be in. Absolutely. So, you see, and that's kind of comes back to the confidence part. So when you actually become a writer like you are and you start actually doing the job well, so to speak, because you have to put yourself into it and put yourself out there. Um, where does that confidence come from? Or what is it a, that allows you to do that? I just have to lie to myself. And shut, <laughs> cut out all the negative voices. Uh, you know, try to put a stopper in the anxiety, the imposter syndrome, the depression. That's all stuff I have to battle with. But ultimately, I think the thing is... Um, the only difference between someone who writes and makes something out of it and someone who doesn't is that the person who writes does it. So you just, at some point, you have to find a way to shut out all of that noise and just do the work. Um, and that's a big challenge. I don't mean to understate how much of a challenge that is, but yeah, it's just, um, it's a matter of doing it. And for me, a big way of combating those negative mental forces is to be creatively productive. So it's it's a kind of, um, I don't know, a weird circle or something like that. Yeah. And it never goes away. I mean, I'm um, 59 here and 20 books out, and I still have the same anxieties, the same imposter mm -hmm. syndrome that comes back, the same um, involvement with, with critics, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, as I did the very first book. So um, something to, to realize that it just never goes away. You're going to die unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the fun. Yeah. So just so you know, don't think that it's going to get better. It's not. Uh, <laughs> when that, that, so when you go back to the, the very first things you've ever written you, that you've kept and you look at it, do, do you ever critique yourself or do you ever kind of think, I would rather rewrite that? Yeah, I, I try not to go back too much. I mean, I guess if I'm doing like a, a reading or a signing or something, then I'll go back through the work and and try to pinpoint what would make a good piece to read. Or if I'm collaborating with folks on like potential adaptations, when things like that come up, I'll look at the work. Um, but otherwise, I try not to. It's painful. I'm always like, why did I, why did I write it that way? Um, I just see the errors, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to anthologies, when um, you get an, an anthology invite from an editor, do you find it easy or hard to uh, come up with a story for a prompt? And um, is that, um, 
I guess, do you find it, um, you know, enjoyable to write to a prompt? I do. Yeah. I, it, it depends on the anthology. Different editors have different processes and things like that. I did um, a story for a tribute. And- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. ...anthology to the Italian horror filmmaker Lucio Fulci. And those editors were incredibly involved, more than I've ever encountered in academic journals or otherwise. So they they would look at multiple drafts and, and both editors would have suggestions and things like that. And that was, you know, that was fine. It was a different experience. Um, but then I had another invite for um, an anthology dedicated to the theme of gluttony. And the editors were, you know, they were pretty... Uh, I mean, they were committed, but they were hands off in the sense that they didn't look at drafts as I was going through it. Um, That one, I ended up writing three different pieces before I landed on something I was happy with. So it varies. I mean, it's interesting that that first story I mentioned, Long Man, that I sold to Creepy Campfire Stories for Grown Ups. When I initially submitted that piece, it was a fragment from a novel and it had all this extra detail from the frame narrative of the novel and the editor basically said, I don't 
care about any of that surrounding stuff. Can you just write us an origin story about this monstrous figure of the long man? So my first story was kind of writing to a prompt in a way. Um, yeah, different challenges for different assignments, I suppose. Shelter for the Dam. So tell us, um, how would you describe that book? I would describe it as a, a pessimistic suburban coming-of-age novel with aspects of cosmic horror. Um, it's heavily influenced by two writers who wouldn't normally fall under the definition of horror, uh, Hubert Selby Jr. and Jim Thompson, um, particularly the way those writers align their narratives with protagonists who are consumed by their own demons. So I became very interested in the possibility of writing a coming-of-age narrative that doesn't result in any kind of positive transformation. In fact, it's a decline. It's this kid who does not see any room or space for himself in this world that he's entering, and uh, it all goes to hell. You know, he's, he, he is damned, in a sense. Sounds like my story. <laughs> <laughs> Getting getting my information out there. Um, so, what do you consider horror? Like, what's what's hor horrific for you? I mean, the things that tend to scare me are real world threats, like the state of ecological catastrophe in the world, um, the fact that someone like Donald Trump can be elected president of the <laughs> United States. Um, the awful things that human beings do to each other, the ways that negotiations of power, especially when money is involved, result in terrible things. Um, that stuff scares me. Uh, I actually find horror books and films quite comforting usually. Um, do you think that's because it's, it's not as real? And I mean, it's, it's just not as direct. Like, you know, when you say Donald Trump gets in, that, that actually is happening. It's here, you know, and it, it or it's happened. But you know, or ecological, or global warming, or things like that. This it's just it's tangible. It's something that is existing, you know, like the pandemic. Whereas in the book, it it's not so direct. Yeah, yeah. I think the horror genre offers a way for us to process and engage with real world horror. Um, I mean, primarily, I think what defines the horror genre is its self-defining affect. So it's the, the, the project of horror is to horrify, just to define it as broadly as possible. And then within that um, affective framework, there are so many different possibilities and subgenres and approaches. Um, but I think at the foundation, that's what it's about. Going back to uh, Cosmic Horror, um, do you have any favorite um, uh, cosmic horror authors, and how have they influenced you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm influenced by the granddaddy, H.P. Lovecraft, in a major way. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, he was probably the biggest influence on Shelter for the Damned in terms of the cosmic horror angle. But I was also um, inspired by people like William Hope Hodgson, um, Algernon Blackwood, I would say, is more weird horror, but I think there are elements of cosmic horror in, in his fiction. Um, and Kathy Koja, her debut novel, The Cipher, I think, 
also draws on that tradition. Um, ditto for Stephen King, so, something like It, I think, um, has elements of cosmic horror in that. So those were the people who, who consciously inspired this book in terms of cosmic horror. What, what, where else do you get your influences from other than um, some of those writers? Um, is, is there just, is there art, music, or um, Donald Trump? Like, where do you get your, <laughs> your, your influence from? Uh, Donald Trump is anything but inspirational to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like all, everywhere, you know, music, uh, film is a huge one. I'm, I'm, I've been writing film criticism for a long time as well. So I'm heavily influenced by cinema, um, visual art, um, conversations, daily news, dreams, memories. I just draw on everything. You, you kind of, as a writer, you train yourself to be a bit of a sponge and just soak up everything you can. Um, Shelter for the Damned definitely drew a lot on um, some suburban horror films and just films set in the suburbs. Like I was heavily inspired by people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter um, and also Larry Clark, who did films like Kids and Bully and Ken Park. Um, and some of the 1950s melodramas like Rebel Without a Cause, Tea and Sympathy. I just... I drew from everywhere. And, and I, I, I also remember the way music I listened to in my youth made me feel. So I was listening to a lot of Alice Cooper, The Cure, Korn, Rob Zombie, things like that. Um, so I, I listened to some of that music when I was drafting the novel, too, to try and put me back in my adolescent headspace. <laughs> Are you able to write with music on or... Do you have a hard time? I know I have a hard time writing with uh, too much, uh, too, too many lyrics or maybe too much of a beat. It seems to, I guess, drown out the voices in my head. <laughs> Do you find you have um, a hard time with that? Or uh, is it very easy for you to write with, with music on, loud music, anything like that? Usually I'll, I'll listen to something where the lyrics are either non-existent or indecipherable. So I'll either listen to ambient and drone and classical, like Brian Eno or Eric Satie, or, um, or I'll listen to like death metal or grindcore, like Carcass or Obituary, where you can't, <laughs> you can't understand <laughs> what they're saying. Uh, but yeah, when I'm, when I'm editing, that's when I feel like I need to be really zoned in and surgical. So I usually edit in silence, but I'll, I'll write with music on sometimes. Yeah, and, and for the voices in your head, there's medication, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is. You know, it's funny because I, I, I will have um, the radio on, the TV on, music going, and my dog's running around and I'll be writing. Wow. Yeah, so I, I like to have all that. But I'm in that, um, you know, uh, spectrum fog all the time, right? So, <laughs> you know, being that way, it just doesn't, uh, the, the world moves around me, so it doesn't matter. It's kind of strange. Um, so where do you want to go with your writing? I mean, I'm, I'm interested in exploring writing for film. Um, I've recently become friends with uh, Jamie Blanks, who directed the films Urban Legend and Valentine. 
and he and I are kind of batting around some ideas. That really excites me. Um, I'd like to write another novel. I'm neck deep in a novel right now, and I am constantly uh, murmuring incantations to the old ones in hopes that I will see my way out of it alive. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I'd like to continue short fiction as well and film criticism. Just just being able to keep doing it in some capacity. That's That's my goal, you know? Hmm. It's a pretty, pretty interesting world, I'll tell you. Um, now, do you have a, a website of your own that you promote yourself in? Yeah, uh, my website is MikeThornWrites.com. I'm also on Twitter at MikeThornWrites. I'm on Instagram at MikeThornWrites as well. Um, I'm on Goodreads, Letterboxd, Facebook. I'm all over this, uh, this strange world we refer to as the Internet. If you want to find me. Tinder, grinder, any of those? <laughs> no comment. No comment. YouTube, uh, Instagram, private channel. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, it's um, yeah, it is an interesting. What do you think of the publishing world now that it's so so open? Um, there's so many small publishers and self-publishing and and all this stuff going on. Do you do you think it's made it better, or do you do you worry about it a little bit? I think um, it's probably, in terms of the ratio of good to bad fiction, I would imagine it's probably the same as always. There's just a lot more of all of it. So there's a lot more bad stuff, but I think there's a lot more good stuff, too, um, that's able to get out there through those avenues. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, thankfully, I've, I've recently... Uh, signed on with an agent and that has been really helpful because she's able to help me navigate that world. Um, sometimes it's hard to find your way through it and determine where the right homes are for your work and things like that. I know it took me a while with shelter for the damned to find the right home for that book, but I'm so glad I finally did. Journal stone has been great to work with. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the, the trick to it all. It's, it is finding the right place. Um, to put your work out and with the right audience, you know, that's usually the, the tough thing because there's so much out there now and there's no, no real gatekeepers or regulation to any of it. So it's all over the place. Yeah. Self-publishing is a strange world too. I mean, I don't, I don't really know a lot about it. It's not a world I've ever dipped my toes in, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so much out there and, and as a reader too, that can be overwhelming. I try my best to keep up to some degree with new short, uh, with new dark fiction and horror fiction, but I'm also always trying to catch up with the classics. So it's yeah. a lot of material. And it's tough because as you get older, the the hunger gets different, right? It's it's no longer the same as it was when you were first getting published. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it it becomes different, and I, I think anyway. I think that the writing grows you become better and uh your goals change um and you know self-publishing is fine i think it's I, but i think it should only be done from someone that has been published right you know it, you know because then they understand they've got to have it edited properly and and they understand the work involved to put out a good book yeah i mean i've read some fantastic self-published stuff I've read some not-so-fantastic self-published stuff. Um, 
I don't know. It's it seems yeah. It's it, it's it's a world I don't like. I said I haven't explored personally, but I I have read some self published books that are better than some of the things being published through quote unquote legitimate vendors. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the the idea, the story, and the writing can be good, and uh, it's getting the book out there. It's just, I, I guess it it just all depends on how serious the writer takes it and how how important it is for them to, you know, do a good piece and and make sure everything's done correctly and stuff. And you know, do you have a problem with that itself? Is in how do I say finishing the book? Like when you have completed it, so to speak, but you go back and you kind of go, well, maybe I should change that or add this and do that. Do you have a, a point where you just have to say that's enough? Yeah, I think we all have to arrive at that point eventually, because I think most writers, if they didn't, they would just never publish anything. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I usually have, you know, a few trusted readers who I ask to look at my work and offer suggestions. And I try to ask readers who um, tend to work within very different genres so that I'm getting um, a multitude of perspectives. With the novel, especially though, with Shelter for the Damned, man, it was a long, long road, especially since I didn't pre-plan. Um, actually, the first draft of the novel was written kind of like an epic prose poem. I, I, I was too liberally inspired by the aforementioned Hubert Selby Jr., so I didn't use any punctuation aside from commas and slashes, and I had these concrete poetry sections where I would build the uh, focal shack out of commas and slashes, and I had a, a really helpful writing mentor who I did a directed writings course with, and thankfully, he strongly encouraged me to rewrite the book in a more conventional, a.k.a. a more readable, and maybe if I was lucky, a publishable <laughs> book. Um, so, yeah, it was it's changed a lot from its original form. Yeah. Well, you know, but those trusted readers, you got to let them out of the basement. <laughs> they're, they're, they're never going to tell you anything's bad if they're they're down there you know that's right yeah yeah or at least give them some water or bread <laughs> yeah yeah why are we driving into the woods let me go yeah exactly i really should give them more water it's <laughs> <laughs> well you know that's the life of horror you know um what can i say um did you ever think of changing to a different style of different type of writing other like comedy uh, <laughs> or, or sure yeah does, does um, that interest you at all i mean i think a lot of my stuff is kind of funny i don't know if other people would would feel that way but uh yeah absolutely i think i'll, I'll go wherever my um wherever my creative i don't know if you want to call it a muse takes me um and so far my muse tends to lead me into the dark corners. So that's fine. You know, I love the genre. I'm honored to be a part of it. I feel like I'm still a student of the genre. I feel like I'll always have a lot to learn about horror. So as long as I'm here, I'm happy. And if I, if I find myself elsewhere, that's cool too. Yeah. You'd be writing musicals soon. <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? I don't have much of an ear though. Uh, and I feel like I'd have to do some singing while I was writing. I, I also don't have a good sense of pitch. 
<laughs> well, you know, we'll get some of the people in the basement. To, <laughs> I'm sure there's some yeah, that's right. vocal coach down there. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah. If not, find one. It's not that hard, right? I mean, you know, I it's it's pretty interesting. Anyway, it's it's a great world, and um, so shelter for the damned. Um, where is that found? Is that just in Amazon, or do you have it in bookstores now, or is it all available anywhere? Yeah, Shelter for the Damned is available directly through the publisher, Journal Stone. You can also get it on Amazon or through Walmart or through Barnes & Noble. Um, so it's it's around. Well, it would be if it's in Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's fantastic to talk to a good writer. Um, your latest book, Shelter for the Damned, available now. It's going to be on our website as well, so people listening can pick it up with one click. We'll have uh, the um, guest author, Mike Thorne. We're going to have his uh, website up as well, and, and uh, you know, Tinder, YouTube, whatever we can find. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for being here, Mike. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was, it was a lot of fun chatting with you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night.
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.